0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli cultural podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I have three parts for you today. In part one, we'll review our Primavera match over the weekend against Atalanta, In part 2, we'll provide a rare mid-season news update. There were so many big stories this past week, so I figured I'd give you the update. And in part 3, we'll preview our match on Thursday against Bologna. So let's start with the Primavera, who had a tough match against the always very strong Atalanta Primavera on Sunday. We came into this match tied with Juve for third in the table on points, but all three of those wins were away from home, and this match was in Cercola where it was very windy, Atalanta were further down the table but only one point behind us so a win would see them leap above us and possibly many other teams in the table. Atalanta's record wasn't a true reflection of the quality of this Atalanta side. They've had one of the most difficult schedules to start the Primavera Uno campaign, They opened their season with a 3-2 loss to Inter, but followed that up with a 4-2 win over Juventus. Then they drew Sampdoria, which was a bit of a surprising result, before beating bottom-of-the-table Milan. Finally, they drew Lecce, another mid-table team, so that was another surprising result, especially at home. So Atalanta were looking to get back on track in this match, but it wasn't going to be easy for them either. Just like their senior team, Atalanta's Primavera played against Manchester United's youth team midweek in the UEFA Youth League. Atalanta scored first in that match, but United responded immediately with two goals within five minutes of the Atalanta goal. United added two more goals before Atalanta scored a late consolation goal in stoppage time, so that match ended in a 4-2 loss. Of course, that meant we were the more rested side heading into this match. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Atalanta lined up in a 3-4-1-2 with Matev's Daikar in goal, Gabriele Alberto started in the center of the back three with Jacopo Ragonesi to his left and Tommaso Dallungo to his right. Simone Panada and Mana Chiwiza started in the center of the midfield. Lorenzo Bernasconi played on the left wing and Guillaume Renault played on the right wing. Alessandro played as the trequartista, and Adi Fizic and Tommaso De Nipota started together up top. For Napoli, Nicolo Frustalupi lined up in his usual 3-4-2-1 with Hubert Dasiak in goal. Benedetto Barba started in the center of the back three with Davide Costanzo to his left and Daniel Hisai to his right. Alessandro Spavone and Colisaco started in the center of the midfield. Enrico Giannini started on the left wing and Domenico Di Dona started on the right wing. Antonio Cioffi and Giuseppe D'Agostino played as the 2 3 and Giuseppe Ambrosino started up top. That was the exact same squad Frustalupi fielded against Milan in the previous round, but we won that match so I can't really blame him. So those were the starting lineups, next let's get to the match. This wasn't exactly the most entertaining of matches, especially in the first half. Atalanta had a couple of chances around the 20th minute, first D'Agostino fouled Chiwiza outside the area. Renault did well to get his shot up and over the wall, but he had to take some power off the shot to do that. His shot was also a little too central, so that made it a relatively easy save for Idasiak, pushing the ball over the bar. Two minutes later, Renault played an in-swinging cross with his left foot from the right side of the area. Fizic, who's nearly 2 meters tall, won the header, but it rolled harmlessly wide of the goal. Even though we didn't create too many chances, we did take advantage of our first real chance in the match. Spavone made a really nice tackle on Sidibe 1v1 in our own end. The ball eventually ended up back on Spavone's foot and he dribbled into the area before laying the ball off to Ambrosino. Ambrosino received the pass with his back to goal and teed it up for D'Agostino at the edge of the area. D'Agostino smashed his shot first time off the upright and into the back of the goal. That was D'Agostino's first goal of the 21-22 campaign. Meanwhile, Ambrosino continues his strong start to the season. With that assist, he now has four goals and three assists through seven matches, so he's averaging one goal contribution per match. Spavone obviously played a key role in the goal. Other than Idasiak, he was probably my man of the match. He made positive contributions on both ends of the pitch. Atlanta had most of the ball in the first half, but they really struggled to create chances both because we defended really well and because they made a lot of simple mistakes. On a few occasions, they either mishit their pass or misread the run and played the ball straight out to touch. That poor play continued into the second half. We saw a couple of poor crosses, one that went straight out for a goal kick and another that was played too close to Idasiak and the keeper made the easy catch, but Atalanta persisted and looked really threatening in the final quarter of the match. Sidibe had a chance in the 74th minute, but his low shot didn't have much power and Idasiak made the save. I think that could have been a better chance had Sidibe taken his shot earlier, but he took a couple of extra touches that ultimately made the shot more difficult to execute. A minute later d'agostino fouled renault at the edge of the area renault took the free kick himself and this time his shot was better both in terms of power and accuracy but once again Idasia kept it out renault would get another chance from a free kick in the 85th minute this time denny was fouled by costanzo at the edge of the area on the previous free kick renault went for the top right corner this time he went for the top left but Idasiak just had his number. In truth, I think the shot would have curled wide of the mark, but Idasiak did the right thing. He didn't take any chances. He went for the save and got a hand on the ball to ensure it stayed out. I must say, Costanzo seems to have taken a step back this season. It's still early in the season, but I think he's struggling to adapt to playing in the three-man back line. A few minutes prior to that free kick, the Nipoti dribbled right past him to get into the area, but he too was stopped by Idasiak. Atalanta's final chance came in the first minute of stoppage time. Substitute Shakur Umar picked up the ball in the area and tested Idasiak, but he was up for that test as well. So you can see why Idasiak was my man of the match. This was his first clean sheet of the season, but he's been in goal for all four of our wins now. Napoli basically had one chance in the entire half and it didn't come until the final minute of regular time. A couple of substitutes were involved in this play. First, Aziz Tudé won the ball deep in our own end and started the break. He sprung Antonio Pesce who carried through the midfield before playing Didona clear on goal. Daikar was quick off his line to stop the shot and take out Didona all at once. Didona stayed down for a while but fortunately he was able to walk it off. Besides Spavone and Idasiak, a couple of other players impressed me in this match as well. Like Spavone, I thought Janini played really well at both ends of the pitch. He played the pass to Spavone in the build-up to the goal and he made a couple of important blocks as well. I thought Giovanni Mercurio played well off the bench. He replaced Trophy with about 20 minutes left to play. Chofi had a bit of a quiet match, other than a long-range effort in the first half that sailed over the bar, his name wasn't called a whole lot. That's not entirely his fault though, because we spent a lot of time defending in this match. In the end, we got the 3 points, which is all that matters. We've now improved our record to 4 wins, no draws, and 2 losses. Roma drew Empoli 2-2 and Genoa beat Spal 3-1, so the top of the table condensed a little bit. Roma is now on 14 points, one point ahead of Genoa. We remain tied with Juve now on 12 points. Juve beat Bologna 3-2 in their match. Inter beat Hellas Verona 3-0, so they remain one point behind us. And Fiorentina beat Pescara 2-1 to stay one point behind Inter. So through six rounds, only four points separate first from sixth in the table. The Azzurini were back in action on Wednesday in the Coppa Italia. We played against Cosenza who plays in the Primavera 2B. We actually lost the match 1-0 which looks really bad on paper. This was still the second round of the competition. But if you look at the squad Frustalupi fielded for that match, you can understand why he rotated all 11 players for the match. Judging from the match report, it doesn't seem like we played poorly and we certainly had our chances, we just didn't seem to take them. As much as you want to do well in every competition, the silver lining is that Napoli will now be able to focus strictly on Serie A. We have Empoli up next, that's another tricky fixture. As I just mentioned, they drew top of the table Roma, which is probably why Frustalupi rested his starters mid-week. That will do for part 1, in part 2, we'll cover the latest news. (laughs) Welcome to Part 2 of the Forza Napoli Podcast. With so many games being played, I haven't had much time to report on the news, but I wanted to take a moment to give you a bit of an update on some of the bigger stories that have surfaced over the last week or so. Let's start with the Copa Maradona. We learned this week that a match in honor of the late, great Diego Maradona will be played on December 14th, 2021. That's fine, but a lot of fans were shocked to learn, first of all, that the match would be played between Boca Juniors and Barcelona. And second of all, that the match would be played at the Mersul Park in Saudi Arabia. It seemed incomprehensible that a match in honor of Maradona would not involve the club where he was most successful, and that it would not be played at the stadium that was renamed in his honor. Maradona played at Boca for a season at the start and at the end of his career, and he had two very turbulent seasons at Barcelona. He moved to Napoli after those two seasons, and the rest is history. What a lot of people don't know, or at least have not been talking about, is that Napoli were involved in the discussions. According to Calcio Napoli 24, Napoli were originally contacted in September by Juan Ignacio Preda Vargas, the Argentine intermediary appointed by the Arab organizers of the event, but Napoli rejected the proposal because the schedule is already too congested and because of logistical challenges in preparing a trip to Saudi Arabia so close to official commitments. Napoli proposed for the match to be played between December 25th and January 10th, but that schedule didn't work for Boca. It was only then that Barcelona were contacted. Now you might ask, how is it possible that Barcelona can accommodate a date that Napoli could not because they tend to have similar schedules? For Barcelona, this match would be played in between La Liga matches against Osasuna on the 12th and Elche on the 19th. If I had to guess, it's because Barcelona are so desperate for cash that they'll do what they need to do to participate in what could be a very lucrative event. As far as the location goes, I think if the event is being organized by Arabs, it was never going to be played at the Maradona. Napoli is not sitting idle though, apparently discussions are ongoing with another of Maradona's former clubs, Argentinos Juniors, to play another friendly in Diego's honor. The clubs aren't able to play the match in 2021, but they're hoping to schedule something. In 2022 and i suppose there could still be a super copa between the winners of the euros italy and the winners of the copa america argentina that's where this idea originally stemmed from but i haven't heard much about that in a while moving on on wednesday napoli announced a partnership with chiles which is the leading blockchain provider for sports and entertainment they are also the developer of socios.com which is a platform that allows fans to engage with their favorite sports teams. And they do that through the use of fan tokens now i am by no means an expert on blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies but i'll do my best to explain how this works as simply as i possibly can at its most basic level blockchain is just a form of digital record keeping that's next to impossible to tamper with it's the technology running in the background that allows cryptocurrencies to function and some would argue to function more efficiently than actual currencies so what's a cryptocurrency Quite simply, they are digital currencies. Even if you know nothing about this stuff, you've probably heard of Bitcoin, which is just an example of a cryptocurrency. Again, blockchain is digital record keeping. So cryptocurrencies leverage that technology to record transaction information like who the buyer is, who the seller is, and how much currency is exchanging hands. So that brings us to fan tokens. Fan tokens are just another form of cryptocurrency. Various sports teams have their own fan tokens, including Serie A clubs. Inter, Roma, Juventus, and Bologna all have fan tokens through Socios. Lazio has fan tokens through Binance, which is a cryptocurrency exchange. Like any exchange, Binance is a place to buy or sell things, and in this case, the thing you're buying and selling is cryptocurrency. To better understand fan tokens and what they do, I think it would be useful for me to quickly explain how to get them. First, you download the Socios app. Then you use your debit card or your credit card to purchase Chile's dollars. Chile's dollars are just Socio's cryptocurrency. Then, with your Chile's dollars, you can purchase fan tokens. At the moment, one US dollar is worth about 3.4 Chile's dollars. Napoli fan tokens are not currently available. There will be a fan token offering where a limited number of Napoli fan tokens will be available for purchase. Usually, these offerings last about two days, and fan tokens typically cost two euros in the fan token offering or about $2.30 US. After the fan token offering, the value of fan tokens is dictated by supply and demand. Once you have fan tokens, then you can begin to interact with the club. You often see clubs say that fans can influence decisions of the club. That's true, but I think they oversell that a little bit. If you think you're going to influence things like starting lineups, think again. Instead, you might be able to influence things like what song should be played when the team scores or the decals on the team bus. Of course, the more fan tokens you have, the more influence you have. Fan tokens also give you the opportunity to participate in quizzes and contests, which then gives you the opportunity to win prizes, like access to exclusive events. So that's Napoli fan tokens. Hopefully that wasn't too confusing, but if you want more information, send me a DM and I'll do my best to help. In other news, earlier in the week we learned that the Supercoppa Italiana was likely to be scheduled for January 5th. Of course, that would mean that the Juve-Napoli match would have to be rescheduled as would Bologna-Inter. For Napoli fans, this was great news because we were expecting to not have three key players in Victor Osimhen, Frank Zamboangisa, and kaladu Koulibaly who would be off at the Africa Cup of Nations. It was possible that the rescheduled match would still be played during AFCON but that seemed very unlikely, that would only happen if Juve and Napoli were knocked out of the Coppa Italia in the round of 16, which would then free up February 9th for this match, otherwise the match would likely be played much later in the season, once both teams were eliminated from the Coppa Italia or from their respective European competitions. If this match was rescheduled, it would be the second year in a row that the Juve-Napoli game would be moved. Of course, last season we had the whole drama with the Napoli ASL not permitting Napoli to travel due to COVID protocols. It just so happens that in both cases, Napoli would have benefited. We know the club has asked the league for postponements due to AFCON, so I couldn't help but wonder if this decision might have been influenced by those requests. I'm sure there would be some who would suggest that this was all orchestrated by De Laurentiis and that he got his way again. But then on Thursday, Il Matino reported that the Supercopa would actually be played a week later. So at least for the moment, we're back to playing Juve on the 6th without our African players. Even though we would have benefited from moving the Juve game, I really don't understand why the Supercopa must be played in January. Those of you who have been listening to the pod for a while know that I'm not very fond of the Supercopa. Yes, it's a cup, but it's a one-match tournament. It doesn't carry any weight, and by that I mean the winner isn't then declared the official best team in Italy. Even if Juve happened to be Inter this year... I think we would all agree that Inter were the better team than Juve last season. Finally, this game can be played any time. We should be looking at the calendar to see when we can fit the Supercopa into the schedule, not disrupting the Serie A fixture list, and then trying to find the replacement date for Serie A games. Sticking with the Africa Cup of Nations, there have also been reports this week that the competition was at risk of being cancelled. There have been various reasons reported for why the event could be cancelled. One is that the host nation Cameroon does not have adequate facilities to host the event. Another is that it's too risky for them to host the event in Cameroon because of the current state of COVID in the country. Finally, there was also a report that the event could be cancelled because the president of FESA Foot, which is Cameroon's football federation is in his role illegally. None of those concerns appear to be a real threat to the event, though. Our friend Mo posted some screenshots from an article on ModernGhana.com indicating that, despite concerns that area still needs some attention, the Confederation of African Football has signed an organizing association agreement with Cameroon to host the event. The article also indicated that should Cameroon fail to satisfy CAF's queries, then South Africa, who hosted the 2010 World Cup, has been lined up as a reserve location. So it would appear that if Cameroon cannot host the event for any of those reasons, then South Africa would become the host and the event would proceed as planned. Finally, there have been reports that De Laurentiis has asked for the league to release the VAR files for the decision to award Juve a penalty at the end of the Derby d'Italia. Supposedly, Inter have requested the files as well. I presume by VAR files, they mean the audio and video recordings. Now, I saw a lot of Juventini suggesting that this was typical De Laurentiis drama and controversy. It was pretty much the same crowd who were convinced that De Laurentiis influenced the decision of the local ASL to restrict travel last season. I think some people are wrongfully assuming that De Laurentiis wants Juventus to be given a loss in the Derby. I highly doubt that. Napoli actually benefited from the draw so why would he want to change that? I think the reason is because he genuinely wants to understand why that penalty was awarded to Juve and how those discussions proceeded. That way, he could assess whether the same process was used to determine that Massa shouldn't have reviewed the possible foul on Gisa in the area in the Roma match. I think that's a perfectly reasonable ask. If the league doesn't provide the files, unadulter that is, because we all know about the fouls from the Inter-Juve game from 2018 then it only looks more suspicious. If you don't know what I'm referring to, late that season, Juve beat Inter 3-2. With Napoli challenging for the Scudetto, the Fiji prosecutor Giuseppe Pecoraro opened an investigation after multiple complaints from various associations. Pecoraro was not given the files until the following season, and curiously, the exact portion of the audio he was looking for was missing. He wanted to hear the dialogue after Mira Lampianic was not shown a second yellow for a heavy tackle on Rafinha after Matias Vecino was sent off in the first half. When Pecoraro got to that portion of the match, there was no audio and he was told it wasn't there and that's all there is to it. Now, Luca Marelli did say that yellow card offenses are not reviewable by VAR, which is true, but something just did not seem right. The lack of transparency only fuels the narrative that there is favoritism in the league specifically for Juventus. If you want the conspiracy theories to go away, then just make all the files from every match publicly available. That will do for the news in part 3, we'll preview the Bologna match. Welcome to part 3 of the Forza podcast. We'll close the pod with a quick preview of the Bologna match on Thursday. At the start of this round, Bologna were sitting 9th in the table with a record of 3 wins, 3 draws, and 3 losses. Bologna's results have been all over the place, which makes them very difficult to predict. Against the bigger clubs, they tied Atalanta, though we could probably chalk that up to Atalanta's usual slow starts. Then they got trounced by Inter 6-1 before beating Lazio 3-0. Their most recent match was the wildest of all, a 4-2 loss to Milan. They fell behind in the 16th minute on a goal by Rafael Leao, whose shot took a rather unfortunate deflection. Then Adama Sumauro was sent off. Davide Calabria doubled Milan's lead 10 minutes before the break, so at the half, the match seemed all but over. Instead, Bologna scored twice in the first 7 minutes of the second half, while down a man. But only 6 minutes after equalizing, Roberto Soriano was sent off, so Bologna played for over half an hour with only 9 men. They managed to hold Milan off until the 84th minute before Ismail Benacer scored a brilliant goal, then Zlatan Ibrahimović put the match away in stoppage time. So those were their performances against the top 7 teams. The results against the teams outside of the top 7 have been equally all over the place. They have wins against Lernitana and Hellas Verona, draws against Genoa and Udinese, and a loss to Empoli. Sinisa Mihailović's formations are just as unpredictable as his results. In Bologna's first six matches, he used a 4-2-3-1, then he played one match in a 3-5-2 before switching to a 3-4-2-1 for the last two. I'm not sure if the changes in formation have really worked though. Curiously, Bologna have not repeated the same result two matches in a row. That is, they have not recorded consecutive wins, consecutive draws, or consecutive losses at any point in the season. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. As I said, Mihailovic used a 3-4-2-1 in Bologna's last two matches, so that seems to be the preferred formation at the moment. However, with so many key players missing, Bologna are expected to line up in the 3-5-2. With Sumauro suspended, we should see Gary Medel in the center of the back three with Artur Teate to his left and Marco Di Silvestri to his right. Mihailovic started the same midfield for his last two matches. He played Nicholas Dominguez and Matthias Spamberg in the center of the midfield with Aaron Hickey on the left wing and Lorenzo De Silvestri on the right wing. Dominguez, Spamberg, and Hickey are all young. Dominguez is the oldest of the three at 23 years old, so all three should be fit to start again on short rest. In the 3-5-2, Hickey would play as the left wing back, and with De Silvestri playing in the back three, we should see Andreas Skovolsen play as the right wing back. Dominguez and Spamberg are expected to be joined by Jardy Schutten, In the center of the midfield, Schutten returns from injury to play 27 minutes against Milan. That was his first action since match day one, so he's missed a total of six matches. Finally, with Roberto Soriano also suspended and Marco Arnautovic injured, we should see Riccardo Orsolini start alongside Musa Barrow as the two strikers. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti will not be on the bench for this one. He'll be serving his suspension for the red card he received at the end of the Roma match. Instead, his assistant Marco Domenichini should be on the touchline. Domenichini's men will line up in either the 4-2-3-1 or the 4-3-3, depending on who starts. Everything I've read in the paper suggests that we're going to play a team very similar to our best eleven. I suspect that's because we play Salernitana next, so we can rotate for that match. So just for fun, I'll give you an eleven that I would like to see play this match, but it's not the lineup that I actually expect to play even though Alex Meret has started the last 3 midweek fixtures, they were all in the Europa League. As this is a Serie A match, I'll go with David Ospina to start in goal. I would like to see some rotation at center back with Costas Manolas starting over Amir Rachmani. Mario Rui played at the weekend, but he was suspended for the Legia Warsaw match, so I think he's reasonably well rested and will start again at left back. With Kevin Malquis still recovering from injury, we should see Giovanni Di Lorenzo start at right back. I think Diego Demet played well enough against Legia Warsaw to earn himself a start in this one, which would allow one of Fabian Ruiz and Frank Zambo Gisa to rest. Since Fabian rested against Legia, I would rest Gisa for this match. There has been some speculation about Lorenzo Insigne dealing with a minor knee injury. Now, the club says he's fine, but I would rest him for precautionary reasons, and if we do that, we should see Chucky Lozano start on the left wing and Matteo Politano start on the right wing. Piotr Zelinski did not look 100% against Roma, so I think Elif Elmas should start in the number 10. Finally, I think Victor Osimhen should start again at striker. If not, I think we could see Andrea Patania get a start. Obviously, Mertens is another option, but he really struggled off the bench last match, so I have a feeling Spalletti will start using Patania a little bit more. So those are our starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is probably an obvious one and that is that we need to stop Musa Barrow. How this man has not started and played the full 90 minutes in every match this season boggles my mind. He wasn't even in the matchday squad against Atalanta and he was on the bench against Inter. Mihailovic did eventually come to his senses and Barrow is paying him back for it. He's scored a goal in each of his last 4 matches now and he's added 3 assists in the process. Mihailovic said in his pre-match conference that with Arnautovic out, Barrow would become the first striker and Orsolini would become the second striker. So Barrow will have an even greater responsibility to score goals. I suspect he will be Koulibaly's responsibility to mark, but I think Barrow is probably the reason why Rachmani will start over Manolas. I think it will be really important to keep him in front of our center backs. He's very quick, so I think if he can get behind our center backs, that's where he's most likely to cause problems. My second key to the match is that we should not underestimate Bologna just because they are missing key players, yes Sumauro, Soriano and Arnautovic are all very important but I quite like the depth options Bologna have in their squad, Tejate has looked good and Mihailovic spoke very highly of him in his pre-match Conferenza, Schouten and Skovolsin are starting quality players in the midfield and Orsolini I think can be dangerous enough up top. We fell victim to this twice last season under Gattuso. First, we lost to an AZ Alkmaar team in the Europa League, and they were missing almost their entire starting eleven due to COVID. Then we lost to a Sassuolo team playing without Francesco Caputo, Domenico Berardi, and Gregoire Defrel. So for me, this will be another opportunity to test the mental strength of Luciano Spalletti's Napoli, especially without the Mister by their side. We did already lose to a Spartak Moscow side missing some key players as well, but it's hard to chalk that one up to underestimating our opponent because we played most of that match with only 10 men. My final key to the match is somewhat along the same vein, that is we need to focus on this match alone and not worry about anything else, especially the other results. This is the final match of the round so it comes with the added pressure of knowing the outcomes of all the other matches. And it doesn't help that pretty much all of the favorites won their matches. Juve were the only top 7 team to lose after conceding a last minute goal to Sassuolo. Lazio got an important win over Fiorentina who are nipping at the heels at the top 7. Roma came from behind to beat a Cagliari team that always seems to give them a tough time. Inter beat Empoli 2-0 and on Wednesday Milan beat Torino. Once again they didn't play particularly well but all that matters is the 3 points. And again they found a way to collect all three that means Milan are unbeaten in their first 10 matches to start the season with nine wins and a draw with us not having played yet Milan is once again temporarily top of the table which again puts a bit of added pressure on us for my prediction i'm gonna go with a bold 4-1 victory i'll give Osman a brace and i'll give the other two goals to Lozano and Rachmani and i'll give Musa barrow the goal for Bologna I look at this Bologna backline and I think that Sumauto's suspension is really going to hurt them. I do not see any players who can stop Victor. The challenge for us will be to stretch Bologna's backline because I fully expect those wingbacks to drop and defend in a back five. I know Spalletti won't be on the touchline, but I do expect the players to be well drilled to the point where they can go out and dominate this match even without Spalletti there. Plus, Domenichini is no slouch and he's been working with Spalletti for a very long time. I think the players will have added motivation from the draw to Roma which ended our perfect start to the season, so they'll be eager to get back to winning ways. Osiman will be eager to get back to scoring goals and creating scoring opportunities for his teammates. And finally, Bologna have an abysmal record playing outside of Emilia Romagna. They've only collected 2 points so far this season away from home. All of their wins have been at the Delata. In fact, that loss to Milan was their first loss at home this season. So that will do for this preview. I hope you enjoy the match. That will also do it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it with a friend and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fisketti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod. I'll be back in a couple of days to review this match and to preview our next one, which is against Lernitana, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre!